The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome to the Brandon Peters Show as we cap off one year of this show. So, of course, for a discussion of the 2006 film 16 Blocks, I bring back the man who helped launch the program from Forbes, Mr. Scott Mendelson. Thank you. Thank you. I can hear the applause from here. Okay. Zack Snyder rules. Sometimes. I liked Sucker Punch before it was cool. Nobody's got a flawless filmography. You know, if it had a halfway decent... Uh, extras i'd probably have bought the uh snyder cut on blu-ray this afternoon there you go there you go i i got it for free oh yeah gosh hitchcock even made some bad ones folks like (laughs) he did um i'm not a fan of the birds i've never gotten into it no i'm not gonna dis this is classics i was talking uh oh gosh what is it Tope. yeah topaz yeah Oh I'm yeah, a fan of Topaz. That's and not one of its better ones. There is one <laughs> really beautiful shot where a woman gets stabbed or shot, and she falls, and her dress falls like a blood pool, which is really cool. But it's like a two and a half hour movie, and not yeah. engaging. So. Uh, foul play. His last movie isn't all that great, if I recall. Family pl- uh, plot. Foul play is a trauma. I'm sorry. It, yeah. <laughs> family plot. Yeah, family plot's. Better than its rep, but it's yeah, yeah. Uh, Marnie doesn't do much for him, but it's nice seeing Sean Connery stretch in early age. Oh, I like, I enjoy Mar- Marnie's one of yeah. those I didn't like younger. I was like, mm, but as an adult, I'm more into yeah. it. I'm, I'm big on you know, actually, one that's lesser talked about Torn Curtain with Paul Newman. I like oh, yeah, it's fun. It's, his, it's um, his formula again, it's not one of the strongest <laughs> ones of that formula, but it works for me. I'll tell you one that really worked for me just when I was a kid and first getting into Hitchcock when I was 11 was, you know, I watched Psycho. I like Psycho. I like for go in your window. But I thought Dial M for Murder was a blast. Oh, yeah. Uh, really and good. I like the remake, too. Uh, Perfect Murder. I, I think they're that. both very fun, well-made, you know, of a similar story. Yeah. I saw, um, I saw Dial M on 35mm one time. Oh, wow. I, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, uh, I think you and I talk about Perfect Murder where we, like, Viggo Mortensen once got a bad rap from us. Where we we're like, oh, oh, he's just some pretty guy they put in movies. Oh like, yeah, I had no race. idea who he was. Oh, like, this guy's really good. Like, how did he get Billy? Okay, whatever. Yeah, how did he get? Uh, I didn't remember Man on the Moon with Reese Witherspoon. Right. Where he does, I, he's yeah, he dies by tractor, if I recall. Oh, um, and then he was in GI Jane with the stash. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I didn't watch many Viggo Mortensen. Like the, I had seen him in Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. Like that was. Uh, was he in the Prophecy with Chris Walken? Yep. Mm-hmm. Which I saw that years after the fact. That guy put in the work before he yeah, got yeah. leads. Like really yeah, yeah. did. And uh, he was willing to hop on a plane quickly when uh, Stuart Townsend was that Stuart the one that got tossed? The mm-hmm. uh, Duggery Scott of Lord of the Rings franchise. Right. Right. Jesus. Oh gosh. Two of them could have an interesting conversation. Thanks for the career, man. <laughs> how's those uh how's those uh Anne rice movies going 
go. Oh. Uh, but yeah, a year ago this started. I mean, we recorded it more than a year ago because I started really early, but this dropped this show and it was off running. And I think it's been kind of maybe I've found footing, but the format and stuff really was helped laid out with you uh, to start and run through it. And I think it's been going the same similar i did very little work this is all you man i know it was all but <laughs> you were like the you were the first subject to have to experience of course, of course. this nonsense for the show we'll always be your bill murray <laughs> like i said like i i would say i was like i'm your jean paul valley for <laughs> memos <sighs> which i had to explain to some oh one of my crow episode i explained that to danielle sepulveres i was like i was like this is like the crow was like during this time with like all these like dark edgy guys and like all oh, the superhero that kill and like for batman they just said well bruce wayne's gone we got this crazy asshole who's gonna show you why you don't want batman to be like that and Did she didn't know that particular arc no she didn't know that uh, she wasn't really oh, big comic she? books she's my, she's my age oh okay but she's not. She wasn't a comic book. No, that's whatever. I get it. Yeah. I just assumed the plot was from me. You know, she's like twenty two. It's like oh. I've had those where I've I've actually oh, I'm sure. go back with music videos where I'm like, you don't know this. I'm like, well, I listened to your Meet the Robinsons episode. You know, I watched it as a teenager while babysitting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which uh, that was that was one taken from Scott, right? That was like, oh, that's a that's a. Mental I just spread the wealth. I told Sabina, I'm like, you're gonna be hearing from Scott Mendelson about this one. <laughs> She picked that. I was like, oh. No, I did listen to it. It was perfectly fine. And I got to watch that movie again, which is always a win. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. I watched it twice. <laughs> so good. But, you know, a lot of people, when they do a year or something, they're like, oh, it flew right by. It felt like a year. Oh, yeah. Well, like, especially during these times. You know, we're living in the end times. We're living in the end times. I put out like a lot. I went from a bi weekly podcast on my old show to like, daily stuff from this almost so it's, it's a lot of work and and i'm glad to have had i mean you've been a regular in this show inadvertently because the out now commentary is running this stream as well yes. so you've been on here but you've also made three appearances as well which in the old show i think you only made one early on appearance and then oh superman three and four right superman three and four but yeah, uh, and you have been uh, like I mean, last time the box office was slowly coming back. Now the box office is kind of back, kind of. Well, let me put it this way: in a year and change, we've gone from God. I wish people would see more than just Marvel movies. To thank God, people have seen Marvel movies. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, Shang Chi, the the savior of not summer because we're at Labor Day. Well, I think this year counts as summer. Summer. And finally... It's in, it's in the out now box. I've got number two on my box office pool. Come on, go. hurry up and get past Black Widow, you little... Yeah. Got like two weeks. I didn't put that one as high because I'm like, well, it's at the end, so I don't know how much it's going to accumulate well, before this sense. is over. Huh? I mean, if I if I had thought about that ahead of time, I might have agreed with you. Yeah. We're just, you know, to vacuum. Out- out now with Aaron and a box office gamble that we've oh, yeah. taken every summer. And this year has been exciting and frustrating. Anyone not put F9 at number one? I'm pretty no, sure everybody... I think everyone's yeah. top five was relatively the same. Yeah. To take a title. Um, I, I had jungle cruise in my top five, I think. Yeah. It's luckily I, I had the horror movies in the 10, but at the bottom of the 10. So obviously we all believe too much in the heights. That's a tragedy. I didn't. 
I had Fair enough. Good horse. for you. I dark horsed it. I was. You're not making the mistake of Warner Brothers of overestimating the taste of the American moviegoer. All right, which is a great movie. Oh yeah, I recently did the 4K. Holy crap, that movie's outstanding. People should see it. Maybe it'll become a cult hit. I don't know what constitute those nowadays. Yeah, what the hell does that mean now? <laughs> what you get nowadays is a bunch of people going, why didn't people go see us in theater? It's great. I'm like, did you? Well, no. But why didn't people, like the rest of the development crowd, that crowd, that's the one I'm yeah. talking about. The uh, Why didn't people watch this? It was great. I'm like, you just figured it. You just started it five years later. Like, what are you? Like, you know, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is great and nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. What an Oscar? Over a Pixar movie, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy it, with that. It made money. Yeah, it, yeah like it. It's yeah, a cartoon. They're lucky it didn't pull a mask of the phantasm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that cult movie, right there. Yeah. There we go. That that would that would constitute that still as a cult. I don't think people still have seen that movie enough or know that it exists even. It's been, <laughs> been some time. It's been some time, but yeah, uh, I've been going. I've been trying to go. Like even the ones that are. Free for me at home, HBO Max or Disney Plus. I've been going to the theater to see them when I can. But I do like the option of like the the recent Conjuring film. I had a lot going on that weekend. I had I was going out of town to see my mother. I had some other things, and I was like, I'm not gonna be able to get to the theater, but I really want to see it right now. It was there on HBO Max. Yeah, and that movie did fine without me, I guess, at the box office. But that was a nice option to have for a weekend I couldn't get out. Regardless of my thoughts on studios doing that or not doing that in terms of day and date and premier access or whatever, if the option's there, I cannot begrudge consumer for taking it. Yeah. No, that's not like malignant when they're not showing it to what day of uh, yeah, then, for critics? Thursday at seven. Thursday at seven. And you know, it's it's I'm probably going just because it's probably the only screening I'm doing that week and mm-hmm. I kind of want to see it because you know, whatever. Anyway. But I, I think it's telling that all we're talking about this week from Warner Brothers is the Matrix trailer mm-hmm. and looked at all these new photos from Aquaman too. Right. And, you know, that's probably how it would be even if it was a masterpiece. Like, but, like Sucker Punch when Amy Adams cast his little Yeah, lane. Sunday morning of that. That was a great distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it's, it's James Wan, so how, you know, how bad can well, it be? Like, but That's my thing is, my like dreams one ranking is really weird. Mm-hmm. It's like Saw maybe my least favorite of his movies just by default. I, I just and I've it, always been you know with Saw with me I've been always just impressed with what him and Lee Wanell did with what little they had. Oh, absolutely! Little they had somehow had a pretty solid cast, but I don't know. There's it's impressive and both bad things in there. Like there's performances yeah. that are just like those were the takes <laughs> and the worst car chase ever put on film. Which, is hysterical when you consider that he went on to make the rather excellent F, you know, Furious 7, yeah. which has like two or three fantastic automobile chases. Yeah. Uh, although I would love to see a, you know, scene of, you know, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker or whatever, you know, doing the... Oh, you like a sick ass. You like a sick asshole. Like, what? No. Yeah, that, oh, uh, yeah. We've had our fun conversations with the original Saw, but I don't, it's not my favorite Saw, so. No. Um, but I, I like, and I actually like Insidious more than Insidious, Insidious 2 more than Insidious 1. I think, I think they're both solid. I like Insidious 2 partially because that's actually, actually has an ending. I like yeah. the first one, which, had, you know, I was totally in its, its you know, until they had a, you know, 
Oh, a cliffhanger. It's not over yet. Well, I didn't think it was movie's a, over. I think they liked John Carpenter and they wanted to go for yeah. the boof ending, which now the, those people used to leave the theater going, ooh, one last scare, or oh, it's yeah. still out there. I can't go in the parking lot. I'm scared. Now it's like, yeah. looks like they're making another one. Like, Yeah, you're absolutely right. It could be a state. Like, Halloween, people left the, the theater after Halloween in 1978. Fine. Today they'd be like, oh, when's the next one coming? They left it open for a sequel. It's like, no, it's supposed to mean when you go home tonight, Michael Myers could come to your house and kill you. That's all it is. The pirates, like a... the pirate ghosts oh, yeah. still are going to come on the holiday that they haunt that island. Like, it's it's a stinger. It's it's not. Well, it's like I remember even in the summer of 93, I had to explain to my fellow middle schoolers that, no, no, just because there was a goofy cliffhanger does not mean we're getting another Super Mario Brothers movie. And thus, <laughs> there was not enough Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. <laughs> Super Mario, oh, Mortal Kombat got one. Yeah, but, yeah. But did we need that one? I think we need the laughs, but. I didn't actually watch Annihilation until right before the new one came out. I had never oh, really? seen it before. And it lived up to the hype, let me tell you. <laughs> it's, you know, I watched him before the new one came out, and I was like, hey, I was entertained. I'll tell yeah. you, what, I don't know for the right reasons. But that that movie entertained me. And then, did you watch the animated one? Yeah, I saw. I've seen them both. Holy crap, um, that was violent. Oh yeah, of course, it's cartoons. You can do whatever that they want. Scorpion's Revenge. One, I was like, whoa! Somebody yeah, needed to uh, recommend this to me sooner. There's a Luke Kang one coming. I'm waiting up. Yeah, the Luke Kang one too. is. I mean, it's more of the same. It's not as good just because there's not as much of a narrative structure this time around. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you get what you pay for in terms of carnage. Right. I got offered that for review, but I was just too I was too stacked up at the time. I was like, eh, I just want to watch this. I don't want to write yeah. about it. Um, no, they 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 sent it to me just on a whim. I was gonna write it, I might still do it. You know, mm-hmm. but you know, one Mortal Kombat movie this year got a sequel. Ha ha ha. That's funny. <laughs> Although, I mean, to be fair, and this is total speculation, I would not be surprised if Mortal Kombat, the live action one, got some kind of sequel just as sort of a a proof of concept that the whole HBO Max thing didn't kill off all their franchises. Gotcha. Because it's cheap enough, and people did watch it, HBO Max. I mean, by those standards, it did very well. Right. And I I, Um, I think with Mortal Kombat's IP, it's always going to have that option because the games are always really popular. Yes. So at some point, someone's going to try to hit a generation, like maybe this will be their Mortal Kombat movie. Like every time there's either going to be, because in the meantime, they weren't films, but they had that, Mortal Kombat Legacy, that miniseries thing that was film-like um, with uh, Michael Jai White. So there was that yeah. in between. There's been cartoons. I mean, there's what well, there's a live-action series, a cartoon series, and then now these cartoon movies. So I think, you know, we haven't seen the last of live-action Mortal Kombat stuff for sure just because of its sheer consistency with outputting video games and that people like the video games. Yeah, those, that would not surprise me. Those are iconic characters. I yeah. people know. Them. Yeah, the, the Luke Kang's destiny, or whatever it's called, it's it's fine. It is what it is. And yeah, you know, obviously, you know, unless, unless I walk out of my you know malignant, I was going to say malignant, thing, it's the new classic of horror. Then yeah, I'll patch those people. will just say, yeah, I watch this on HBO Max. Those that choose to, because obviously, what we're seeing is the numbers, the, the lost box office revenue is not being made up far as I can tell anyway, with HBO Max. I mean, after In the Heights came out, everyone was like, oh, everybody must have watched it on HBO Max. It got less viewers in opening weekend than those who wish me dead. Yeah. That's a tragedy, but it is what it is. 
And one of the frustrating things about this, you know, the new normal in terms of streaming is that the numbers are either hidden or they're like differing, conflicting third-party analysis. But I, I do find of some use because they've been doing them long enough that I can compare them to themselves. Mm-hmm. Like when Samba TV puts out, you know, this movie was watched this number. Well, I know because Samba said this one, he reported this. So I can compare between Samba and Samba. But the numbers are so hard to discern that it sort of validates any and all narratives, um, which is very frustrating, especially in this very entrenched fan corporate idea, you know, fanboy, whatever time. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever, you know, it is, it's, it's, it is what it is. I think the studios are real, you know, are either realizing or are additionally understanding that, you know, as long as they want to make movies that cost a hundred, $200 million, they need theaters to make their money back. Right. Yeah. Cause the, the streaming, I mean, yeah, I pay X amount per month. But that yeah. gets dispersed between everything they're going to. It's not like I bought a movie ticket for this and that's what this is. I paid 15 bucks, but that's going to Mortal Kombat. That's going to Those Who Wish Me Dead. That's going to whatever I watch. Definitely Tom and Jerry. Definitely Tom and Jerry. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's... A movie that saves cinema. It's, it's like the best story about stream or something that just had a boom for a service is Hamilton. Is that the best thing that's drawn people? I think so. To- I think that was the right movie at the right time, and kudos for Disney for not only onto it for a year and a half. And that was also something that I would argue that I don't think anyone's going to feel that they lose much not seeing that in theaters, because that's not something that you would expect to see in theaters anyway. It's almost like the yeah. Fathom events, like, come see the Yeah, exactly. Opera. The Fathom like, events, or, you know, BBC like, presents this live recording of Fan of the Opera. Or right, yeah. Now, having said that, the, the recreation of Hamilton it was excellent. You know, I would love to see more versions of that with other stage play, you know, especially, you know, I don't necessarily have the time and endless money to fly my kids to New York and see something on Broadway every other week. Right. And I'll tell you what, that Hamilton, my kids have had that on like loop since it dropped. They are obsessed with Hamilton. Like it's crazy. She watched In the Heights like crazy while it was on HBO Max and got really pissed when it was taken away because my daughter she was all about it but now we have it on 4k ultra hd and she can watch it there you go and digital because it comes with digital copy and she can watch it all the time so (laughs) a cop who's lived too hard Nah, man, it ain't military time. A witness who's seen too much. Congratulations, you're about to testify against one of New York's worst. You're going to rule the lives of six cops. They have two hours to go 16 blocks. There's about a ton of cops between me and you, and they all want this kid dead. You are not going to make it. Bruce Willis, most death, David Morse. Keep stopping. 16 Blocks, a film by Richard Donner, rated PG-13. 16 Blocks, it's, uh, directed by Richard Donner, write, written by Richard Wank, starring Bruce Willis, uh, Yasin Bey, under his alias Most Deaf, David Zayas, Jenna Stern, and David Morse. It's about an aging alcoholic cop who is assigned to the task of escorting a witness from police custody to a courthouse 16 blocks away. There are, however, chaotic forces at work that prevent them from making it in one piece. Scott, you and I are big fans of this movie. Yes. And I think you you and I reference it more than probably anybody else I can think of. Quite possibly. Um, it came out in early 2006, 
I don't know the exact weekend, but I know it was early enough to have a Super Bowl commercial. It was March, April. Uh, I, saw okay. it, I saw it at the man, the Chinese on, yeah. on like the Tuesday after it came out. I remember because I had a, a friend come visit me for a spring break that year. Um, and I took him to a movie, the Chinese, and it was 16 blocks and it was like a Tuesday night. That's nice. Probably 10 people in that theater total. Uh, But because of that, I was like, man, the sound mix and sound design is phenomenal on 16 blocks. Like, it was really good. But uh, And I really enjoyed the movie, which I was just like, well, that's the thing playing there this week. And I was like, and I came out going, I think that was really, really good. So... Yeah, I mean, it's. I saw it. I think also the you know when Monday or Tuesday or whatever after opening weekend. I think at the Burbank, um, and yeah, it struck me as, and you know, this was before. You know, this was when there was only three Die Hard movies in existence. Yeah, um, it's sort of a, a best case scenario final Die Hard story. Yeah, uh, in that you know in the real world, this is what a police officer like John McClane would become, where he has no friends. He's estranged from most of his family he's an you know he's a raging alcoholic and his fellow officers Mm -hmm. you know tolerate him and humor him but they're just taking advantage of them because you can tell they're slightly younger but yeah like i said like i know people be like well john mcclain would be like this i'm like where we saw him in die hard with a vengeance this is very much where he could become maybe not the john mcclain at the end of the the first one it's happy whatever yeah but john mcclain from the follow-up that was done by the creator one of the creators of the original Die Hard, uh mctiernan this feels like the extension of that and we would get yeah. Die Hard with uh, uh live free or die hard the very next year um which is funny because i think you and i in 2006 were like this would be the final this would be a great final Die Hard. we don't need another Die Hard. we have 16 blocks uh but to be fair live free or die hard is pretty decent yeah. Um, and it deals with a lot of the same, you know, thematics as this, the whole, this, this guy who at one moment in his life was this larger than life superhero, basically, and you know, the rest of his life just sort of happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Glyphreed does, you know, it doesn't ignore, you know, it doesn't negate the two previous ones, but it certainly doesn't talk about them in any real way. No, it's John, Mc- um, it's John McClane, the mythical figure he'd become in the time between the sequels. Yes. So yes. that, that's how I always looked at it. I know people are like, he's not like that. So I'm like, no, no, you're seeing him through the lens of what we've created in fandom of him, like this yes. idolized McLean that's not even happy with himself and stuff like that. But through the lens of who he was, we see these heroic deeds in a heightened fashion. Yes. Um, but it's getting back to 16 blocks, regardless of its you know, diehard connections or not, it is an original picture and you know it's not a franchise film. And yeah, it's just, it's a very... I mean, I don't want to say slow burn because it's actually very fast paced, but it doesn't, it's not particularly violent. It is a police thriller in which all of the characters try really hard not to kill other people right. because in the real world, there are consequences for that. Even the bad guy, even David Morse. Yeah, even the bad guys try, not, you know. David Morse does not want to kill people. Yeah. Except no, it's not like they run dead. around popping bystanders. I'm sorry? Yeah, well, except most deaf, but he <laughs> won't do it himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 there's a certain tension because they're, you know, all both parties are trying to avoid quote unquote unnecessary violence. Um, the film is very mournful and I don't want to say somber because it's not, you know, it's certainly, you know, again, it's a Richard Donner film. Richard Donner, somewhat May is a relatively optimistic, idealistic person. And the film eventually becomes a somewhat idealistic and optimistic picture, even though it is very, 
in a non-yellow highlighter kind of way upfront about, you know, institutional police corruption, institutional racism and how that factors into police corruption. Right. You know, we find out toward the end that Bruce Willis, who's been spending this entire film protecting a witness from murder, which is very uncharacteristic for his character at that point. And, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's funny that, you know, the other bad guys who were all his friends and cogs are like, where did this come from? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think David Moore's even says at some point, you know, you, I guess he woke up. Right. Yeah. And the scene, you know, that he kicks off the movie, which there is, a, you know, one of the cops just opposes, you know, you're not a cop. It's one of the other guys. So when they hired, you know, is about to kill him. And out of nowhere, Bruce Willis just on instinct drops his liquor and shoots the guy. And the look on his face, like, I can't believe I just did that. Why did I just do that? What does this mean now? Um, it's such an atypical reaction from a you know a movie action hero. Mm-hmm. And that resonates throughout the entire picture. Again, they're, they're trying to avoid conflict at all costs. But you could probably count the gunshots in this film yeah. um, if you were so inclined. But the film, you know, through Mos Def's character, he's a, a small-time criminal that one way or another got mixed up and, you know, shady business but his lifelong dream is to open a bakery and he's got the money he just needs to you know survive long enough to get out of town to open up that bakery yeah he's um, gonna testify and go yeah. and then he's got a locker with the money in it that yes. he has to go grab and then he's going to seattle yeah uh, and he's testifying against corrupt cops one of whom turns out to be bruce willis yeah so it's 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 not really treated as a plot twist it's sort of like oh okay, that makes sense i mean yeah this entire film has been about these friends and former partners of Willis's character, Jack something or another, who are, you know, corrupt in a very realistic, you know, non-melodramatic way, of course he'd also be involved. Right. The film comes to a conclusion, frankly, in a very surprising way. First of all, the witness in question does not testify. Right. You know, he sort of, you know, allows him to get away and, and, go off and live his life and he takes that person's place on the witness stand implicating himself right as we find out in the epilogue he goes to jail for it for a couple of years he originally in the original ending he died for it yes and again that's you know richard donner does generally not like doing unhappy endings yeah um that does not surprise me you know as we all know the original ending of little weapon 2 had him being shot you know uh, Mer- uh, Riggs being shot and killed by the main bad guy mm-hmm. that was changed for better or worse and i think it's fine right you know i i I'm not one that thinks that a character has to die in order for the movie to have dramatic weight. Exactly. Um, It's it's old hat. There was a time where that was doing something, but now it's just like, I'm more surprised when they do survive. Yeah. Or even like conspiracy theory, where you set up an ending where, you know, Mel Gibson probably should die. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I had to, you know, pick one where, gee, they probably should have killed him off the end, that'd probably be the one, but it's not a deal breaker. The movie's over at that point. Right. But no, you know, he, he, does not die. He go he and the, the epilogue is actually very sweet. Yeah. He's sitting with his estranged sister who is no longer estranged. It's clear that he's he's you know gotten himself together. He's not drinking. Yeah, he and looks clean like his eyes. Yeah, he looks clean. No he looks clean and sober. Real clean and sober, yeah. And you know, the, the epilogue is he gets a note from from Eddie. And you know, he sends him a cake from his new cake shop mm-hmm. and leaves you know with a very sweet note. And basically, you know, the idea is that people can change. Mm-hmm. You know, as Rocky once said, when after he defeated Ivan Drago in his in end of the Cold War in Soviet Union, you know, Soviet Russia, it's a very optimistic picture in terms of just 
you know, action thriller thematics. And yes, by today's standards, it probably would get a lot of think pieces about, oh, it's so honest about police corruption and it's yeah. so honest about systemic racism and how the criminal justice system doesn't, you know, doesn't go after bad guys and punishes the little guy. And again, back in a less heightened time, that was just considered good movie making. Mm-hmm. I remember being shocked. Not shocked, but amused when I rewatched the two Candyman sequels last year, back when the Alpha Candyman was coming out in late 2020. And they're, you know, we can debate whether they're good, but they're both very political and very honest about structural institutional racism. Their mind's in the right spot. Their yeah. money just isn't. Yeah. Like that's, in a yeah. way that would be considered politically courageous by today's standards. You know, in, in a time when, you know, something like the, the Falcon of the Winter Soldier gets held up as incredibly brave because Sam gets denied a bank loan. Again, I, I, I am. I'm certainly more fond of films that were more honest back before they had to appeal to every theoretical moviegoer, where they didn't have to shroud their politics and fantasy and metaphor. It's interesting, like just how casual it feels about it. Like it's yes. not. It's like it's presenting it as something rather than, "Hey, let's stop for a moment." And Bruce Willis doesn't even like have to sit and preach or say that. Like he yeah. does. He does all this thing as himself, as his char- you know, as his character, not because the script needs to pull around and, and do it. And it's the right move. Like, granted, you know, he's taking the heroic uh, move from most deaf. The white guy's going to do it instead. But that's in order for him to have any sort of reconciliation for it. It's got to be him. That's his bravery, no matter what. And most deaf gets to have his ending and get away from all this problem. Like even if he testifies, how is he going to testify? And then just, Oh, you can go to Seattle now. Yeah. Um, well, it was, yes. And to a certain Willis extent, you knows, know, his, he's a cop. He knows it's yeah. not going to be Seattle after today. Yes. Even, you know, Jack says to a certain extent, you know, I have to wait to do this. Cause this isn't your burden. You are a victim of this system. It's not your responsibility to be the martyr, to be the hero. That's got to be on me because I have. Yeah. It makes a difference if I do it. If you do it, there's a chance we lose this. Yeah. And it's a movie where almost arguably every character is smart. No. And they make smart decisions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that gets them away from danger. And sometimes the bad guys bring them closer to danger because the bad guys are smart too. Yeah. Well, it's it's perfectly staged by um, Donner and his editor. In the first scene where David Morse is introduced, when he comes in, you have Will Steph looking at each person as they walk in, and then the wrong one walks in, and Bruce Willis notices most deaf, notices something up, but also David Morse notices that he notices that and hit it right there. And just there's a lot of that in this movie. But that's like probably the best example, and it sets the stage for how the movie's gonna play. Like everybody someone's two steps ahead of somebody who's actually a step ahead of that and it's yes it's, it's clever it feels now it's not like haha look how smart we are it's just we don't have to sit through a lot of bullshit movie things uh and i That's like that it. willis's character calls for help at every opportunity yeah. um which is a nice touch you know it's not like you know oh i can't call for back yeah of course you can't and you do and to a certain extent eventually that's what saves a day is you know the ada that isn't an idiot and she believes you and believes believes him and believes what he's trying to say and you know basically says okay come on in and i'll help you and he does his sister is a bit of a deus ex machina for it yeah but they set up the sister early on ambulance driver okay but 
you know, sometimes movies got to get from point A to point B. Um, it also makes sense that people, you know, that the two members of that family would be in somewhat the same right. general occupation. And I like the payoff where Mos Def thinks that, that or Eddie thinks that he's an you know, yeah. ex-wife. And they make the movie, um, you know, we're through yeah. Mos Def's eyes through that. And we think yeah. the same thing, too. And it's it's quite hilarious. Um, he's a very nice, sympathetic character. And you, you want him to survive. You want him to win. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, you, well, obviously you want, you know, you don't want Bruce Willis's character to die either. but the movie presents the point where it's okay if he goes out, if most, you know, if Eddie gets away mm-hmm. uh, and that's, you know, the film more, not quite climaxes, but the big action climax, if you want to call it that is, you know, a bus standoff in which he is reluctantly and sort of inadvertently forced to hijack a bus. Right. And honestly, that's probably the one place for me where the movie kind of slows down a little bit just because it seems like spectacle for the sake of spectacle in a film that otherwise has avoided it got a deal breaker is, there's still good character beats there and there's a nice bit where um eddie shows a young girl who's one of the hostages you know how to make a cake and he shows her his cake recipe book and you know it's a character moment and he tells her it's his birthday and it's not and yes. he tells bruce willis that well i needed to make her feel comfortable yeah exactly because and and you know i i think the bus thing is mainly there for us to have a moment of like how the hell does he get out of this like what yes. happens here like um, and it's really tough to figure out. And then he's smart. He has most deaf switch clothes with the guy and starts letting people out unexpectedly to throw off the, the cops. Cause he knows they're going to come through as a payoff. That scene has to, you know, there has to be a moment where Eddie steps in front of the, you know, metaphorically steps in front of the rifle for Jack. Right. Um, and that's how that, that scene climaxes. And one thing I love is after that, you know, the film's actual climax is a conversation between two old cops in a park in a garage mm-hmm. or wherever they happen, you know, like the, like, the basement or whatever. Yeah, the parking garage is below. And it's an emotionally charged conversation. It has years of, of friendship and, and, and bitterness and guilt. Again, it doesn't end in a shootout. It doesn't end in an explosion. There's one gunshot at the very end of the movie. Right. And it's, it's, you know, you have Bruce Willis and this all due respect back when he was fully engaged in the material. Yeah, it's- uh, when he was, you know, when he was at his best, he was the. Mo- I always felt he was the modern day Bogart. Yeah, he was, um, he was. I mean, I think I think Harrison Ford has a lot of Bogart in him yeah. as a talent, but yeah, Willis too. And when he was on, there, I mean, still, but like one of the biggest and best movie stars on the planet you could have. You get great performances. You get people in seats. You get big movies happening. When he cared, yeah. <laughs> now. He don't care that he is a red box staple or, a, you know, I, but he's done his time. I mean, well, also, you know, I, I, without giving him too much credit, I don't know what kind of movies he would make for quote unquote, a level Hollywood these days. Anyway, right. I mean, even GI Joe was sort of like, yes, he's there as an added value element, but he's sort of just there along for the ride. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Well, it, it's kind of funny that like, during the time when Stallone and Schwarzenegger were straight to video guys, or just not Schwarzenegger was more uh, being a governor, governor, that they've kind of flip flopped where Stallone can get in a theater probably before Willis now. Yeah, but you know, right mostly comes along. mostly for a Rocky Rambo movie, and that's you know under you know that's that's always been Stallone's thing, and I. I you know, uh, I love Nighthawks. I, mean, I like Oscar. There's plenty of movies I'm quite fond of, right. but commercially, 
with the exception of that like 93 to 97 space, yeah. all of Stallone's hits are Rocky movies, Rambo movies, and Expendables movies. Right. Well, I mean, Almost everything. James Gunn has used him a couple times. Like he's got yeah. people that'll put him places, but yeah. Oh yeah, it's an, you know, sort of an added value element, something like Spy Kids 3D. But in terms of a starring vehicle, yeah, he's always been dependent on Rocky Rambo, right. for better or worse. Cobra was probably, and Tango and Cash, maybe that one's expensive though. I don't know how they spent $55 million on that movie, but whatever. Worth it. <laughs> but yeah, what, what struck me then and now is how small scale and scaled to life and plausible and intellectually and emotionally honest 16 Blocks is. Right. And it feels like a Richard Donner movie. It is. And it's his in, final one, which is. Yeah, it was his last one he directed. He went on a big high in my book, but it's crazy yeah. that this was like 15 years ago. Um, much like, I mean, John Carpenter, he hasn't done anything since uh, the, the ward. ward, which was, was that 2011? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Here's the thing. Carpenter said, I don't have anything to say. I'm not going to just do a movie to do a movie. I got to have something to say. And if you don't. Yeah. And, and they, you know, or it's not like he's been away from movies. He's been producing and helping his uh, wife's company and stuff. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's, and even Donner, you know, he didn't direct between 2006 and, you know, when he died just a couple months ago. But he was, you know, he and his wife have been producing up a storm before and after that. You know, they produced Free Willy, they produced the X Men films, they I mean, produced. He wasn't he pretty integral in those reshoots for Wolverine, X Men Origins? Possibly. They, they sent him. I believe they sent him to the set. Or That's quite possible. I know for that. I remember that, but because I know they were heavy on producing, uh, and they you know they produced the Lost Boys, right. which I would argue is sort of the other side of the eighties nostalgia coin with Goonies, right. which of course directed. No, and I, I I mentioned this you know right after he died that you know in a somewhat under the radar, less flashy, less celebrated way, Richard Donner is responsible as responsible for pop culture childhood is you know Spielberg and Zemeckis. Yeah. I mean, the guy, you know, made one of the definitive prestige adult horror films of the 70s. Mm-hmm. He basically invented the modern comic book super movie, superhero movie. You know, The Goonies is basically the definitive 80s kids adventure nostalgia flick. Monster Squad's better, but whatever. Um, it yes, it is. <laughs> he and McTiernan and Verhoeven, you know, basically revitalized the American action movie with, with him. It was obviously Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2 was like the first modern breakout sequel. Right. The sequel does far more than its predecessor without any kind of this is a big event for people that don't care things like Terminator 2 and Rambo 2. Right, yeah. Lethal Weapon 2 is just another Lethal Weapon movie. Right. And even, you know, I don't want to give Scrooge too much cultural credit, but that was the introduction for A Christmas Carol to a lot of Reagan era kids. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, <laughs> between it was like between 1976 and I guess 1989 with Lethal Weapon 2, he was just kicking ass and kicking names. I mean, he was a household name director at the time. Like, yeah. There was Richard Don. I mean, you had if you Richard followed Don the industry, think, you knew who he was. Yeah. I knew, yeah. Like he was one of the first yeah. directors that I knew. And it wasn't just, I think it was more lethal weapon than it was Superman yeah. at the time that I just knew that it was Richard Donner. He did this and he did he Goonies and then, Oh, well he did Superman. Okay. And then <laughs> did the Omen. Awesome. Oh, I love the Omen. What? Uh, but yeah, no, he's uh, great. And then, I mean, this though, I mean, he was starting to get spaced out with, I mean, this was three years after Timeline. Uh, and before that uh, was Lethal Weapon 4, which was eight years before 16 Blocks. So yes, in that period. No, he, he did a lot of Mel Gibson movies in the 90s. Uh, you know, Maverick, Lethal Weapon 3, Lethal Weapon 4, Conspiracy Theory. 
Uh, I love Maverick. I think it's terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably the the hardest one to watch if you still, you know, for better or worse, have issues with Mel Gibson because that movie is entirely about his movie star charisma. Right. Um, but it's still, you know, if you, if you can hold your nose, it's a lot of fun. Um, well, I mean, like like Bruce Mel has, you can see why he was a yeah. humongous star. Yeah. Uh, back then, it sucks that he turned to a shit person. But <laughs> yeah, but even in his, you know, most of his post scandal movies, Mel Gibson is an interesting and engrossing and thoughtful screen presence. And nobody will admit it now, but y- y'all thought the same about Kevin Spacey at once too. <laughs> well, he has yet to make any movies since then, so that's True. you know. Well, uh, uh, Franco we'll Nero see. put him in something. So who? Oh yeah, the Italian thing. Yeah, but. Getting back to 16 blocks. Uh, but you know who is great in 16 blocks is David Morse. Like he As always. Is phenomenal. And I would think, had this movie been like a big hit and a weak Oscar year, I don't know that he'd get nominated, but people might think he could sneak in because he's yeah. just that good in this movie. And, you know, he's played he's played a lot of cops. <laughs> yeah. He's also played a cab cop turned cab driver uh, in a CBS show called Hack that aired for a couple of years. I don't know why I randomly brought that up. Yeah. But he, I think this is the first movie I ever saw where he was billed in the trailer and he was billed on the poster. Yeah. Like, and I've never, and I was like, David, whoa, they're giving David Morse some billing here. And I know by the time Distribute came around, it was sort of like, look who we got for this movie. We're a big deal movie. And, you know, I like Distribute quite a bit. And, you know, he's one reason why. That's a, that's a classic example of ripoff, don't remake. You know what they should make? They should make a movie just called Code. And starring him, and put just his last name above it, so it's like Morse code. That's my that's my dad joke of the episode. Oh boy, I have to go now. No. Oh, um, canceled. This yeah, pretty show much. is over. It's been a good year. If a listener wants to make a fake poster of Morse code, <laughs> whatever genre you want to do, please tweet me. Send it my way. I would love to see. Morse. I'm sure Brandon will pay you a lot of money for your work. The title's not Morse code. It's David Morse in Code. Just the movie Code. Make it happen. He has gold bullion under his bed. There you go. No, this movie, I this time around when I watched it, I was really taken with the editing. There's a lot yeah. of smart reversals and things. Like, I like when uh, most Def is in the back of the car at the beginning when he's going to the liquor store and a, and a hitman that the cops have set up comes to shoot him at the door and then there's the, the window kind of just chatter and is red. And Bruce Willis has shot him in the back of the head. It's really cool. There's some uh, interesting um, plays with like uh, cuts around corners, things like that. There's the one with the sheets down in the uh, boiler room of some apartment building, and people waiting on the other side of the door that we're going to see. Um, just the way, just the cuts, just really smooth, kinetic, uh, a lot of playfulness, and just really gives you a feel for this. Like, like you feel the danger, you feel just the sense of the area they're in and the task they have at hand really well. And it just stood out this time. A lot. And it, without calling attention to itself, it uses a lot of misdirection yeah. in terms of who is where in relation to, you know, their relative antagonists mm-hmm. and who isn't there. <laughs> it's a very cleanly edited movie. You can always tell what's going on and where it's going on. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's action is entirely plausible. So you're not, choreographing super duper kung fu fights or anything like that no craziest um, thing he does is he drives a bus that's yes. his tires flattened and parks it in an alley it gets stuck in an alley and he's right by a doorway when he opens the yeah. door but that's and you know again keeping with the film's realistic tone and realistic template you know the, the amount of times in which characters get shot in non-lethal ways 
Yeah. And they are in pain for the remainder of their performance. Right. You know, I, I Lewis get or Willis gets shot in the hand. One of the cops gets shot in the leg. Um, gets shot in the side or yes. something too. But he doesn't doesn't get it's not the Jesus shot. He doesn't have a big death speech. No. Uh, he does survive. But yeah, I mean, even then, in a time where you did get, you know, cop thrillers and street level action movies and star driven vehicles, this stood out as a very thoughtful, nuanced, emotionally compelling, character driven example of just a really good studio release. Mm-hmm. So of course nobody saw it even then. Right, right. I, um, I don't I mean, know. it was not a hit. If people saw it today, like the people seeing it today, would they be mad that, of, of course, well, a cop ends up being the hero in the end? Would they be mad about that, that it glorifies a cop? But this is like, this is maybe something they should see to be like, hey, be the <sighs> hero, no matter how down and out you are. Maybe this is um, what movie cops should see. I suppose. And again, it's, it's, it's in a way that films were once allowed to be. Mm-hmm. It takes, it's, you know, it's, you know, the film. You know, hot button issues with corruption, systemic racism, et cetera, et cetera. And just, you know, they're accepted fact. The movie doesn't have to talk about them because it understands the viewers are entirely aware that this is how the world works. Right. Yeah, there's no there's no talk of how could our precinct have let this happen under our you know they're all bad. Yeah. It goes yeah. it, it builds because you first get David Morse. It starts it starts as some hitmen, then it's David Morse and his people and then the police chief comes up to the side and then like the captain or the mayor or somebody even bigger is involved like it is a whole lot of stuff it's not even some diabolical conspiracy to take over the world it's just no it's just shitty cop corruption. cop work that's been covered up it's yeah like, you know, overextending you know it's it's you know excessive policing mm-hmm. and even the the big crime in which they end up going down for it wasn't even it was an accidental death of a civilian through harsh you know, basically uh, harsh interrogation yeah harsh it. interrogation yeah. you know and even that you know that it's 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 not some ramparts type you know kill squad type conspiracy it's also very realistic and you know i, I keep talking about realism and, and and plausibility but also makes it a far more engrossing and suspenseful picture because the stakes are low enough that you know relatively speaking anything can happen you know, this isn't a film where Bruce Willis has to stop some guy from wiping out everything electronic in the country. Right. Of course he's going to win. This is an Escape from L.A. movie. Or this is an Escape Puskin movie. Well, there's a funny part where uh, when they're, I did find kind of hokey-ish, um, maybe, I don't know, where when the people are getting let off the bus, David Morse totally racially profiles a guy, like, thinking it's most yeah. deaf. It's, not, it's a guy holding the kid. And the guy totally knows you're like, oh, you're doing this. And then he gives up most deaf. He's like, oh, yeah, I put a suit on him and he went that way. I was like, man. Well, well people, aren't, people aren't always good. But he didn't, always, he didn't realize it was police corruption was the issue on the bus. But I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, oh, man, that guy got totally racially profiled. And then gives up like he didn't get pissed about the cop. Well, to be fair, they, they took them hostage like 20 minutes ago. True, 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 true. Fair enough, fair enough. I did think that there's a line in the movie that perfectly tells this the, the story right at the beginning it's like this is what we're gonna do and it should have been on the poster guy goes 118 minutes to get a little hemorrhoid 16 blocks <laughs> I was like, and i look at the time how oh yeah that's the, the the length of the movie wow okay it really does that and it never like a lot happens but i never feel like i'm questioning the amount of time the movie oh. takes 
I mean, it's not in real time, but it almost it's, feels like it. It's a race against the clock movie, but I never feel the clock. I feel more for the safety of our two leads than yes. I do the clock. Because the distance is short enough that they can, if they cannot get killed, theoretically, they should be able to get there pretty quickly. Right. Right. So, yeah, I've never, they're never, I, like, they check the time once in a while, but I've yeah. never, like, hurry, hurry, guys, get it. I'm more like, escape the situation. Because I feel like if they can get him to the courthouse, it doesn't matter if he's late. Like, they can explain, yeah, so cops were trying to kill us yes. when we were trying to get here. Um, but here he is. Sorry, we have blood on us. Uh, cops were trying to kill us, so he couldn't talk. But that's... But yeah, and, and again, I find the film's epilogue very moving. You know, it is a very satisfying coronation of the two protagonists and the effect they each had on each other's lives. Right. right. And it's a very, you know, again, it's very do right. It's very pro-karma. Right. And yeah, that's cheesy, but this is a fictional film. In all fairness, too, the, the alternate ending, which is more of a downer, has this same sort of, it has a similar take on this, but just Bruce Willis's character died in the, the one, and most def never found out until he made that cake. Um, yeah. But it, it, still, it still works in that fashion. It's just a little bit more of a downbeat note than the upbeat one. But I like... Willis getting to see the reaction. I, I, I prefer the one where he lived. I think it's, yeah. it works It works better, and it shows you that most deaths at a bunker really made the difference in this guy's life. Yes. That he did, did more than just that day. And, you know, he might go out to Seattle and see him. He might not. It doesn't matter. But they, you know. Because if Jack dies in the courthouse, then Eddie hasn't made him as much of a difference than he would have, than he does if Jack lives and has a vaguely satisfying last few years of his life. Right, exactly. Because Jack, I mean, Eddie's the one who gets him to kind of reconcile with his sister, to reconcile with himself, to, you know, do all this and see the good in which he gets to live to see the good with which he did to, you know, say, oh, I made the right decision here. Yes. He probably not a cop, he's not a cop anymore, but, you know, who knows what kind of difference he can make there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a damn good movie back when movies of this nature were far more common in wide theatrical release from major studios mm-hmm. at a certain budget level. It's not egregiously expensive, but it's like what? 40 million bucks. 55. Back when that was okay. 55. When that was normal for a major studio picture. It's got Bruce like, Willis. So it probably, yeah. he probably cost a chunk back when he was worth it. Yeah. He was worth it. Uh, spring movie. Um, yeah, it did. I mean, it did solid. It would have been done a lot better had it not cost as much, but that's the case with a lot of movies too. But, yeah. Um, I think it's just a case. I don't, I don't know why it wouldn't have been interesting to people to go see, but I've always really liked it. It needs a new Blu-ray release or something because the audio is still Dolby digital compressed audio uh, oh my. from the original. I worked on this Blu-ray when it came out and uh hd dvd too i believe it was that early it got both (laughs) yeah that was right at sort of as the 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 dvd wave was starting to go a little bit down which you know to be fair that was one reason why studios were willing to spend you know 45 million dollars in a queen latifah romantic comedy you know last holiday because even if it didn't go crazy in theaters there was the potential of a vibrant post-theatrical afterlife yep um but now there's not yeah now there's a subscription. Now everything's content. Con- yeah, con. I'm content with content. But yeah, so 60 Blocks, really seek it out. It's a high recommend. It's a solid, easy movie to get through. Definitely, and you'll remember why Bruce Willis was a thing. And 
Where we just talk about something that we may have taken in recently, seen, watched, read, uh, done. Yes. Maybe you had a great meal at Burger King recently. I don't know, but this is where we share that. So, Scott, what else? What have I watched recently? I did watch this movie, 16 Blocks, tonight. Oh, okay. Have you heard of it? I yeah. have an hour. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm back. Uh, Wendy and I have been watching Dr. Death, an eight part miniseries on Peacock. Oh, okay. It's not a true story about a and just a stunningly incompetent and or malicious doctor who just left a trail of botched surgeries and periodic corpses on his table. Oh. Uh, Joshua Jackson stars. Oh, uh, that one. Okay. Okay. Along with Alec Baldwin, Christian Slater, Anna Sophia Robb. It's good in that, you know, we watched it. It's fine. We enjoyed it. But it's also the personification of the new trend in which this eight-hour miniseries could have been a movie. It's a lot and, of shows, know, too. Yeah. I'm not the first person to, you know, I'm not remotely the first person to say that, oh, you know, the adult skewing mid-level drama that used to be a movie is now, you know, the streaming miniseries, you know, The Unknowing or, uh, you know, Mayor of Easttown or what have you. Mm -hmm. And that's fine, but... Mayor of Easttown at least knew how to be an episodic. It knew the importance of structuring an episode and not just being like, okay, how do we bowl, make our movie? It's... Yeah. Yeah, they have and, to react, but they're over the course of a... Yeah, and it's it's, yeah. it's frustrating because A, a lot of this stuff is added out unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. And B, in a world where general consumers don't necessarily have time to sit around and binge all day, mm-hmm. you know, you're asking them to commit what used to be, you know, 140 minutes or less on a theatrical, you know, what a movie would have been on this, like, seven, six and a half, seven, seven and a half, eight hour piece of miniseries yeah and even if they choose that one it's going to take them a week to get through it and there's something else that they might have enjoyed in movie form but they're never going to get around to because the new thing just dropped yeah it's all about the next thing and yeah not about just marinating in a good old film or a good old series to talk about we have too much and luckily i'll say that i I complain there's too much a lot but there's probably something for everybody now at any time. So there's that. Yeah. But remember, we used to all <laughs> give things a shot together. That was, <laughs> I don't know. I am enjoying mur- Only Murders in the Building. I haven't started that yet. I want to. It's cute. Everyone's in good form. Martin Short's terrific. The first three episodes are available. So I think newbies drop on Tuesday. So there might be a fourth episode. Okay. Um. Watching the second season of Evil on Paramount Plus, which was a show that was terrific on CBS, it was so successful on CBS that they said, We want this to be an A plus on a streaming service that nobody watches. But it's fun. It's, it's, have you seen Evil? I have not seen Evil. Fair I enough. Love it. I am evil. Um, Fair enough. No, basically, it's sort of a modern day kind of sort of X Files type show about a, okay. a priest and a civilian debunker and a tech guy that investigate allegations of spiritual miracles, okay. bad miracles um, through the church and sh- shenanigans occur. And again, it's, 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 it's a, not what it's about, but how it's about a type show. Okay. Um, what's his name? Uh, crap. Uh, he played Ben on lost. He oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ben Linus. Oh. 
played Michael uh, Emerson. Michael Emerson. Um, when I say he spoiled Saw, I mean, the first time I saw Saw, it's like, I know that guy from the practice. He's a serial killer in the practice. He's the killer. And I was right, sort of. He's the guy who acted all weird, yet was not wanting to do what he did. Yeah, it's like, he's an unwilling participant, but he really gets off on torturing the wife and kid. Oh. Um, Um, My what else, as always, my listeners... I, I'm not sponsored by HBO Max. I just happen to enjoy their content. But I, uh, White Lotus recently wrapped that one I've up. I've heard good things. Uh, it's a little quirky uh, miniseries, but uh, things like work as their own each episode. Um, it, it It's opening leads you to believe there's going to be a lot like more sinister stuff going on, but it's just like darkly comedic um, kind of brutal drama stuff at times. Uh, with some good A plus players, um, I'll usually watch what Alexandria Daddario does. Um, but it's also got Connie Britton, um, Steve Zahn. I haven't seen him in a lot of stuff many years. Is it there? John Grease shows up midway through. Molly Shannon, some nice, nice people in there. Um, but it it was a fun little quirky show. I don't know if I'd highly recommend it, but it was a, it was a solid watch. But that that was uh, what I most recently have taken in when I've had some time, and I'm working on a review of uh, the Star Trek, uh, or, the original four movie collection for KL HD set, which is my code for y'all didn't finish the restorations in time for the 55th anniversary, did you? <laughs> did you? Give me Final Frontier. Give me Death. They doubled down and were like, well, no, we're doing some more sets. We're going to do a Final Frontier, Undiscovered Country, and Generations. That's going to be the next set. And then the other one after that's going to be First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis, the one everybody wants. And I'm like, you guys are doubling down. There's no way you were like, yeah, the first four movies. Like, I get it when you did two, three, and four. That That's its own little, okay. But you threw motion picture in there, which tells me you started on something and were like, oh, crap. We don't have the time. Just say, just be upfront about it. Just be like, look, we wanted to give you something. That's fair. But they look good. I've I've been through uh, Motion Picture and Wrath of Khan, and they both look splendid. They also promise with this. They go, oh, that the Star Trek Motion Picture director's cut you guys all want? Yeah, we're doing it. Ooh, next year. That was my next question, actually. On on Paramount Plus for a limited window, and then we're going to put out the 4K. I'm like... So you guys didn't finish that either? Like, what were you doing during the pandemic? <laughs> you weren't were making new not Star, making Trek. Star Trek. Four. God, I was like, what? <laughs> what are you? What was like? Oh my gosh! Yeah, like oh. So there. I mean, they look good so far. There's like the new bonus features are. There's like a isolated score track. Uh, on a couple of them, uh, there's not really a, a whole lot new, but right now we, after the DVD and Blu-ray era, especially of popular things, everybody said what they have to say. Do we need new bonus features? Like I, Shatner said it, whatever he needs to say. But Nicholas Myers said it. Like it's, I know these people are like, oh no, new bonus features. I'm like, didn't the last ones cover it? Like how many times can you do the same thing in the Nightmare Encyclopedia? Right. Ugh. I and my my thing is like so. Back to the Future. 
all they owe me bonus feature wise is just give me the Eric Stoltz footage. Just cut it together. Show me it. I want it like they showed a clip of it in a documentary with no sound. I'm like, that's what I want to see. That was the Netflix thing? That was on one of the the box sets. Oh. Did a a new documentary and they had like, well, we tried Eric out and they showed like real quick. This last time they gave us audition footage of like John Cryer, Ben Stiller, Keir Sedwig, um, Billy Zane auditioning for roles. So that was cool. Um, But I, I still want the Stoltz footage. And like the alien box sets, they've done everything. All I want is James Remar as Hicks footage, not just a picture. I want the footage. That's all you owe me. You don't have to get people for interviews. I've heard it. Everybody's afraid of James Cameron. I know. I know. <laughs> so I, I still remember, God, it's like 20 years ago when the first big alien box DVD box set came out. And like, if you watch all the behind the scenes stuff, like this weird pattern that everybody involved hates aliens because they said it like sort of the bastard stepchild and they talk about it as if it's not everybody's favorite <gasps> it's very odd i, I guess see- it's because you know it was more of the james cameron show and everyone else felt left out oh yeah out. well he was working with like british crew people who yeah. they have a lot of different re- rules out there yeah you don't mess with tea time you don't mess with what like in those studios out there it cut off times cut off time they shut the power off good for them um, like, yeah, there's a tons of stories of Doctor Who episodes ending perfectly, like, and then the lights shut off, and they're like, we got it. We got it. Um, but, like, there's a fight. So, Escape from New York, Shout Factory did a Blu-ray um, a couple years ago for it, and they got some of these uh, set designer people to interview for new interviews, and James Cameron was the matte painter on that movie. And they were, like, you could tell even then they had the fear of God. They're like, he was a... Uh, knew what he wanted and he was really particular um his brush strokes were like they're like scared that he was going to come after them if they said so like you could tell they didn't have a good experience with him but were afraid to say he was hard to work with or something as a matte painter <laughs> on escape from new york so, so yeah that's that's some stuff but um That'll that'll wrap us up for this week, Scott. Um, always glad to have you back here. Always um, glad to be here. Awesome! It worked out that you could bookend it uh, for year one. Um, will there be a year two? Yeah, yeah, there will. So, but uh, as the curtain closes here, uh, let people know where they can keep up with you. Forbes.com. Please Google some form of the ticket booth. Forbes Scott Mendelson. If you feel like subscribing for more than four dollars a month, I really that'd be awesome. But I, I understand if you don't want to. My Twitter feed is at Scott Mendelson. That's where you can see all my uh, unfiltered schmucky takes, as well as humor, speculation, charming bits of wisdom. Uh, Facebook is where all my you know family photos go. Don't go there unless you actually want to see the family photos. All right. Now I'm on Twitter and Instagram at brand 4 kuhd written worker com. There's more from the Brandon Peters Show this week. But until then, thank you so much for tuning in this past year, subscribing, do whatever you do, sharing, commenting, arguing, telling me people suck. I don't care. It's been an honor to entertain and to frustrate you. Good night. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. 
Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetersshow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.